0: You are listening to the official podcast of the Mission Rutlands. We are a growing community living out God's radical love. So pumped to be uh, getting to share with you guys this morning! I was um, I was visiting a French church last night, and uh, their stage is as big as our sanctuary. Uh. And they have a venue, so uh, I'm happy to be here with the family. We're not just a venue, we're a family here at the mission. And uh, if it sounds like I woke up and chose violence today by even mentioning that, I did. Um, it sounds like you guys chose violence this morning too. I heard you guys worshiping. I know Charmaine did. She brought the shaker out. So, uh, And we are going to be talking about the fact that we are all in a fight. Uh, but before we get to that... we're uh, as is my tradition, my liturgy, uh, I want to pray first before we get started. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who have trespassed against us. Lead us not into the great trial and deliver us from evil. For yours is the kingdom forever amen uh, so uh if you've been with us if you were with us last week you know we started a new series called words of easter and i'm really pumped about this series we're going to be talking about we talked about the bapti- baptism last week we're talking about the transfiguration this week uh, next week during our family gathering we're going to be talking about passover uh and then we're going to talk about the crucifixion and then of course uh resurrection and then accent- ascension Uh, So I hope you join us for all of those, it's going to be really good. Uh, Today, transfiguration, just off the bat, the word transfiguration, uh, it's the Greek word transmorphu, it's only used four times in the New Testament, Uh, and only two of those, three of the Gospels actually talk about the transfiguration story, but only two of them actually use the words transfiguration, uh, the Matthew and Mark Gospel. Um, We're going to be out of the Mark Gospel, we're going to look at the Mark Gospel account of that today. Uh, the other two instances of, of this word are used by Paul in his letters and the most famous one being in Romans 12 where it says uh, you must be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And same word uh, because the idea of, uh, of, of this word is that you would be transformed, you would change. Uh, and actually in the sense of the Greek it was you, being with somebody will lead you to transform, mainly being with Jesus is going to uh, transform you. If you have a Bible or a Bible app, I'm going to be out on my phone today too with you, so uh, you can open up to Matthew 16. The Transfiguration story is actually in Matthew 17, but I think uh, the two stories here in Matthew 16 and 17 are connected and I want to look at them together because I think it's important to see what's going on in the Transfiguration. So if you're in Matthew 16, uh, I'm out of the NLT today, Uh, I'm starting at verse 13. We're not going to cover all of 16 and 17. It's too long, but we're going to cover the the key parts here for what we're talking about. Uh, Matthew 16, verses 13. Um, And when Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi. Now, it's important to note that they're in Caesarea Philippi, but we'll get to that later. Uh, Just keep that in mind. He asked his disciples, who do people say that the Son of Man is? Well, they replied, some say John the Baptist. Others say Elijah, and some say Jeremiah, one of the other prophets. Then he asked them, "But who do you say that I am?" Now, Simon, uh, we 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 kind of get on Simon, or known as Peter, Rocky is his nickname. We'll get to that as well, right? We get we get on Peter a lot because he has a lot of uh, you know he steps in it a lot, and uh, we relate to that a lot. We actually love Peter, but actually Peter has some really brilliant moments in the Gospels. In fact, these two stories are pretty brilliant that he he identifies a couple of these things and uh in fact we we ought to give peter a lot more credit because he was just a young man you know in our cinema we kind of paint the disciples as these 30 40 year old men but they probably would have been a lot younger uh that's kind of the tradition of rabbis with their their students they would have been much younger uh so he's a young man he's full of you know he's full of vigor he's wanting to to get things right he loves jesus and uh, he gets it very right right here. And we're going to see. Uh, so Peter answered him, You are the Messiah, the Son of the living God. Jesus replied, You are blessed, Simon, son of John, because my Father in heaven has revealed this to you. Uh, you do not learn this from any human being. Now I say to you that you are Peter, which means rock or rocky. Now you, Rocky, right? His, his nickname. <clears throat> now I say to you, Peter, upon this rock, I will build my church. And the powers, now some translations have it, the gates of hell. And they're both good. I I love this translation, powers, because it kind of gets at what he's talking about. And the powers, or the gates of hell, will not conquer it. And I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you forbid on earth will be forbidden in heaven. And whatever you permit on earth will be permitted in heaven. Then he sternly warned the disciples not to tell anyone that he was the Messiah. For then on, now there's a transition in the Gospels, Right? From this moment on, Jesus is going to start to reveal to them the true nature of his kingdom and his messiahship. Right, And this is what causes some problems for Peter later on in this story. Uh, from then on, he sternly warned the disciples not to tell anyone that he was the messiah. And he began to tell his disciples plainly that it was necessary for him to go to Jerusalem and that he would suffer many terrible things at the hands of the elders. The leading priests and the teachers of the religious law and that he would be killed, but on the third day, he would be raised from the dead. Now, in the rest of this, chapter 16, we know, you're probably all familiar, that then uh, Jesus, uh, Peter, gets rebuked, uh, Peter rebukes Jesus, right? And uh, Jesus has to tell him, get behind me, Satan, you're not thinking of things of God, right? We're not, we won't get into the full story. So again, Peter's biggest high followed by his biggest low. But, again, the interesting thing to to understand about Peter is, at the time, uh, this would not have been clear to them. Now, for us, it's clear that Jesus is the Messiah, but we have the New Testament. And the New Testament's already reading back into the the Hebrew Scriptures and revealing all these things to us. They didn't have a Bible app where they could go and piece all the things together and flip across from one verse to the next verse and put it all together. So this was actually pretty profound, that that Peter is piecing this together, and uh, that he is already showing, uh, claiming that mis- that Jesus is the Messiah. Now, Caesarea Philippi. I told you uh, 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 that we're going to we're going to talk a little about about this region. Now, Caesarea Philippi um, is the center of pagan worship. Ball worship would have happened here later on. Uh, Herod makes this his capital. It becomes the center of Pan worship, the Pan god. Uh, you can imagine that they would have had lots of pagan festivals here and all of the uh, uh, eventful ways that they would have uh, had parties there. You can let your imagination run wild, but not too wild. Uh, Let's just say it was very, uh, you know, wild there, right? This was uh, an area, in fact, if we have the map, I'm going to show you um, James. So you see Casaria Philippi is right there. It's very small. Sorry for this this map. But Cassaria is Philippi, right? And then directly behind it, uh there's Mount Hermon and uh or Hermon I just call it Hermon I think it's funner to say but uh it, Mount Hermon is part of that mountain range right there behind Cassarea Philippi and that mountain range is called the Bashan Mountains if you can see that and the whole area of Bashan at the time uh, of this uh, of the their, their, their time of Jesus and where they're at right now would have been associated with the canaanite hill it was a dark region it was associated with demons, dark dealings. Uh, in fact, Mount Hermon, which means holy mountain, is actually, uh, in their time, they would have known that, uh, or at least the, the legends, right, uh, from the book of Enoch, which is an extra-biblical book. We don't consider it inspired. But in the book of Enoch, uh, it was said that Satan and his dominions all went to the Mount Hermon, and they swore an oath to oppose Yahweh to oppose our God. So this whole region is associated with demonic powers, opposition to God, opposition to everything that is good, right? This is the center of pagan worship, where they have come, right? And um, this Mount Hermon, right, uh, this is going to be where... uh, got, Jesus takes takes the disciples here in the next story. So if you still got your Bibles open, we're going to continue in Matthew 17.1. Uh, it says, six days later, and that's important, uh, Jesus took Peter and the two brothers, James and John, and led them up a high mountain. Again, uh, traditionally, you might have heard that this was Mount Tabor, and that has traditionally been one it's called, I think, now everyone kind of understands that it's Mount Hermon, and uh, you'll see why it makes more sense that it's Mount Hermon instead of Mount Tabor. And there is still a transfiguration church if you go to Mount Tabor today, um, but we, we, we believe it's Mount Hermon now, and like I said, we'll see why. All right, it says, as the men wa- as, uh, He led them up to the high mountain to be alone, and as the men watched, Jesus' appearance was transformed, transmorphed, so that his face shone like the sun, and his clothes became as white as light. Suddenly, Moses and Elijah, who were just mentioned by Peter, right, uh, in the previous chapter, appeared and began talking to Jesus. And Peter exclaimed, Lord, it's wonderful for us to be here. If you want, I'll make three shelters as memorials, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. Again, this is a brilliant callback by Peter. Um, and, And the biblical writers and the people of the time they, they use this feature called a remez, right? It's calling back to the scriptures. It's calling back to something that's happened before to bring our attention to what's happening right now. And so this is what Peter's doing. He's like, hey, this is exactly like Mount Sinai. This is exactly like what Moses did on Mount Sinai when he gave the coming of the law. So again, Jesus, Br- Peter has a brilliant moment identifying what's going on with Jesus and, 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 the, and the prophecies in the scriptures so he says let me build shelters and memorials one for you one for Moses and one for Elijah but even as he spoke a bright cloud overshadowed them and a voice from the cloud said this is my dearly loved son who brings me great joy listen to him now this is also a call back to Jesus' baptism which we talked about last week what happened when Jesus got baptized a voice from heaven the Holy Spirit descended very similar right this is a call back to that. The disciples were terrified and fell face down on the ground. Then Jesus came over and touched them. Get up, he said. Don't be afraid. And when they looked up, Moses and Elijah were gone. And they saw only Jesus. As they went back down the mountain, Jesus commanded them, don't tell anyone what you have seen until the Son of Man has been raised from the dead. And then his disciples asked him, why do the teachers of the religious law insist that Elijah must return before the Messiah comes? Jesus replied, Elijah is indeed coming first to get everything ready. But I tell you, Elijah has already come, but he wasn't recognized, and they chose to abuse him. And in the same way, they will also make the Son of Man suffer. Then his disciples realized that he was talking about John the Baptist. Now it goes on, and there's uh, some story that continues, but we won't get into that. Now, uh, if you look at Exodus 24, you will see that Moses goes up on 6, it takes six days, goes up to Mount Sinai, and he takes with them uh, Nadab, uh, Aaron, uh, Abihu, and Nadab. Three people. We've got a high mountain, we've got Moses, we've got Jesus, and we've got three people, right? And then we have, uh, shortly after the story of Mount, Mount Sinai, we have uh, God appearing in a cloud on Mount Sinai, God appearing in the cloud on Mount uh, Hermon with the transfiguration story. So it's all this connected. Jesus is deliberately doing it this way to connect the Hebrew's mind, back to what has already happened to solidify himself as the Messiah and to show that he is fulfilling all the prophecies, right? So if you look at Exodus 24, you'll see the similarities. We won't read it um, uh, quite the same way. And of course, Peter saying, you know, hey, let's build a shelter is it directly to uh, the tabernacle because right after in Exodus 24, they go on to build the tabernacle so that God's presence dwells and he actually uses the same word so again Peter's being very brilliant now if you just read the transfiguration story and I know we're getting a little bit into the weeds stick with me uh, now if you just read the transfiguration story at a surface level you would not probably miss some things and that's okay because you take a lot from it regardless but there's something really cool that's going on here with the words that God speaks alright now if you remember it said this is my dearly loved son who brings me great joy, listen to him. Now, in the, tr- the tradition of the time, they have rabbis and they taught about the Hebrew Scriptures, the Torah, the Old Testament, right? And they would interpret it. The same way uh, you think about it, having a Bible with uh, commentary on it, right? It would be kind of like that. They would take the Scriptures and they would interpret them. Now, in some of the rabbinic oral tradition of the time, there was uh, a tradition that said the Messiah will come when God testifies to him in all three parts of the Old Testament, or all three parts of the Tanakh. That's what they called, what we call the Old Testament. That's what the Hebrew scriptures are referred to uh, in Jewish tradition, the Tanakh. And the Tanakh means the three parts of the Old Testament, the, the Torah, the prophets, and the writings. All right? Now I'm going to show you something really cool. So God speaks these words right? Because he knows that in the minds of everyone, Peter and the disciples and everyone that Jesus is teaching, he knows in their minds that they have to hear God testify about the Messiah in all three parts of the Tanakh. So here we go, right? This is my dearly loved son. Now, if you go to Psalm 2, I don't have it up here, but just listen to it. Psalm 2, 7, the king proclaims the Lord's decree. The Lord said to me, you are my son, Today I have become your father. Psalm, that's the writings. We've got one part. All right. Who, now, was the second thing that God says from the mountaintop? Who brings me great joy? Now listen to this. Isaiah 42:1. Look at my servant whom I strengthen. He is my chosen one who delights, in, who delights me, who brings me joy. All right. That's the prophets. We've got two parts. You know where this is going. The third part, God said, listen to him. You think we're going to find it? Deuteronomy 18, NLT. Moses said, the Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among your fellow Israelites. You must listen to him. Is your mind blown? I hope so, because I love this type of stuff. I geek out on this, right? <laughs> you got you to choose violence, guys. You got to be behind me. This is like amazing, right? God knows what's in their minds. He quotes this, he, he cites his own scripture, right? We're always told in philosophy, you can't have circular arguments. That doesn't apply to God. God can use his own words to prove his own point, right? <laughs> so God quotes all three parts of his book uh, to prove that Jesus is the Messiah, because that's what's going on here, right? Jesus has taken them to this place, Caesarea Philippi, and then they go up to this mountain, right? At at the bottom of the mountain, at Cassarea Philippi, Peter says, you are the Messiah. Jesus takes them up to the mountain, recreating Mount Sinai, calling back to Mount Sinai, and confirms it. He's like, yes, I'm the Messiah. God speaks the very words that would confirm to them that he is the Messiah. So what does all this mean? What is this getting at? Well, Cassaria Philippi. I didn't, I didn't reveal this to you earlier, and we've ta- I've touched on this just briefly before, and if we have the picture of it, James, let's p- bring that up right now. Cassaria Philippi, this whole region is in Bashan, right? And we already talked about what the, the Bashan mountains, the Bashan region uh, looks like, right? And I'll get out of the way so you can kind of see it, right? So <clears throat> this, this cave here, if you can see it, the picture is not too great. I just stole this from somebody else who's been there. I've never been there. But you can see, if you go down into that, there's, that's a cavern, and there's water at the bottom. And this would have been considered a gateway to Sheol, the, the place of the dead for, for this region, right? And when Jesus says, the gates of hell, he's actually referring to this place. This is, was, was known as the gates of hell, because uh you know waters associated with chaos and in in their time uh and you can go down it's very deep and you can go down to the water so it's literally the gates of hell for them so when jesus says uh you know every good rabbi is not they're not going to just go to cassaria philippi that's a long walk they're not going there for no reason every good uh Rabbi is going to use an object lesson, right? Just like every good youth pastor or uh, children's teacher, right? They always have an object lesson to demonstrate their point. That's what Jesus is doing. He's brought them to Caesarea Philippi, right? At the he's standing at the very gates of hell and he says, "Rocky, on this rock," because it's a rock side, if you can kind of see it, it's a cliff side, "on this rock." Now, just as an aside, there's this is very controversial in the church history, right? The Catholic Church says The rock that he's proclaiming is that Peter is the first uh, church leader. That's not really controversial. Of course Peter is the first church leader. But that's not the rock that Jesus is talking about. Now Protestants take it another way and say the rock that he was talking about in this instance was that Jesus is the Messiah. That's the rock on which we die. That's true too. Both of those are true. But the real point, right, he's here making his object lesson. He says on this rock, rocky, on this rock, Here at the gates of hell, what's going to happen? The gates of hell will not advance against the kingdom of God. Now gates, if you know anything about gates, they're defensive structures. Jesus is coming to this region, proclaiming that he is the Messiah at the very gates of hell for those people. He is throwing down the gauntlet. He is declaring war. He has making a point about the fact that satan is no longer in control that his kingdom is at hand and then he takes them up to the mountaintop the very mountain that would we say where satan and his dominions declared war on yahweh and he's saying no no no, no. this is my mountain i'm the son of god and this is my mountain no more is this going to be associated with Bashan and Satan, and if you want to declare war, well, here I, here I am. Jesus woke up and chose violence, right? He went to the mountaintop and said, "No, nah, this is my land. This is my mountain, right? All right. <laughs> Are you with me? Yeah. Yes. So the kingdom of God is on the move. It's on the offensive. And Michael Heiser puts it like this. He says, Jesus goes to ground zero in biblical demonic geography to announce that Bashan will be defeated. It is the gates of hell that are under assault, and they will not hold up against the church. Hell has no claim on those who align themselves with Jesus. He will reverse the curse of death, and his own will rise on account of him. The imagery is striking. Jesus picks Mount Hermon to reveal to Peter, James, and John exactly who he is. The embodied glory essence of God. The divine name made visible by incarnation. The meaning is just as transparent. I'm putting the hostile powers of the unseen world on notice. I've come to earth to take back what is mine. The kingdom of God is at hand. Amen? Now I want to show this to you there's something else at play here psalm 68 this is going to blow your minds and if you have your bible out, i'm going to read it psalm 68 is long i didn't put it up on there but i'm going to read parts of it this is psalm 68 let god rise up let his enemies be scattered let those who hate him flee before him As smoke is driven away, so drive them away as wax melts before the fire. Let the wicked perish before God. But let the righteous be joyful. Let them exalt before God. Let them be jubilant with joy. Sing to God. Sing praises to his name. Lift up a song to him who rides upon the clouds. Where were we just? What did we just have? The clouds ascend on the mountain. His name is Yahweh. Be exultant before him. Father of orphans. Protector of widows. Is God his holy, in his holy habitation? God gives the desolate a home to live in. He leads out the prisoners to prosperity, but rebellious live in a parched land. O oh, Yahweh, when you went out before your people, when you marched through the wilderness, the earth quaked, the heavens poured down rain at the presence of God, and the God of Sinai, the presence of God, the God of Israel. O oh, mighty mountain, it continues verse 15, mountain of Bashan, Oh, here we go. O oh, many-peaked mountain, mountain of Bashan, why do you look with envy, O oh, man, oh, many-peaked mountain, at the mount that God desired for His abode, where Yahweh will reside forever? With mighty tree, twice ten thousand upon thousands, Yahweh came from Sinai into His holy place. Our God is a God of salvation. And to God the Lord belongs escape from death. But God will shatter the heads of his enemies, the hairy crown of those who walk in their guilty ways. The Lord said, I will bring them back from Bashan. I will bring them back from the depths of the sea. What we just the gates of hell? Cassarea Philippi, so that you may bathe your feet in blood so that the tongues of your dogs may have their share from the foe. Your solemn possessions are seen, O God. The possessions of my God and my King into the sanctuary. The singers in front, the musicians last. Between them, girls playing tambourines. God bless the great congregation, Yahweh. O you who are Israel's fountain. Now, it keeps going. It keeps going. Stay with me. I know this is long. Trample underfoot those who lust after tribute. Scatter the peoples who delight in war. Sing, God, O kingdoms of the earth. Sing praises to Yahweh, O rider in the heavens, the ancient heavens. Listen, he sends out his voice. We just got the voice from the top of the mountain top, right? The ancient heavens, listen, he sends out his voice, his mighty voice. Ascribe power to God whose majesty is over Israel, whose power is in the skies. Awesome is God in the sanctuary, the God of Israel. He gives power and strength. To his people, blessed be God. Do you see what's going on here? Do you see why the transfiguration matters? He's declaring war. Easter, resurrection, this whole season is about God's invasion of this world, right? Not to snatch us away for some time after we're dead, but to reclaim it now. Obviously, it's the kingdom is now. And yet more, the day, it, will, it will complete on the day of the Lord. But in the meantime, the kingdom of God is at hand, right? You know, Satan has convinced us. There's a, there's a lie that the, the biggest trick Satan played on us that was convincing us that he doesn't exist. I don't think that's true. I think many of church people believe he exists. And we give him way too much power. We put him as in charge of this world. But the transfiguration story says he's not in charge. You guys have the power to beat back the gates of hell. That's what's being declared here in this story, right? You, going back to the baptism, right? He started at the, mat, the, the bottom, at Philotop, Philippi, at the bottom of the mountain, where there's water, and then baptized at the top of the mountain, right? It's all calling back. So what does all this mean for us? What does all this mean for us? Here's what I think it means right we chose violence today we are in a battle we're in a fight and the thing to remember is satan will flee from you that your adversaries will flee from you because they're not in charge anymore if you don't believe me i want to look at this verse from matthew 12. And let me see I can find it. Matthew 12, it says, but when the Pharisees heard about the miracle, they said, no wonder he can cast out demons. He gets his power from Satan. So we've got his accuser saying, well, he's aligned with Satan. That's why he can do these things. The prince of demons. Jesus knew their thoughts and replied, any kingdom divided against itself or divided by civil war is doomed. A town or family splintered by feuding will fall apart. And if Satan is casting out Satan, he is divided and fighting against himself. His own kingdom will not survive. And if I am empowered by Satan, what about your own exorcists? They cast out demons too, so they will condemn you for what they have said. But if I am casting out demons by the Spirit of God, then the kingdom of God has arrived among you. For who is powerful enough to enter the house of a strong man and plunder his goods? Only someone even stronger. Someone who could tie him up and then plunder his house. Anyone who isn't a with me, opposes me, and anyone who isn't working with me is actually working against me. So Satan has been bound and Jesus is plundering his house. You are plundering his house. We have to quit ascribing him to being in control because he's been defeated. He's on the run. He's got a defensive structure. He's back at the gates of hell under assault from the kingdom of God. And yet somehow he's convinced us that we're the ones that are surrounded, that we're the ones that are being beaten and defeated by him. Listen, you I know it's, it's easy to say, oh, things are so bad and the enemy is winning. And in many ways he is, but not without a fight. If you go out, walk out the side of this door in a, block, a block's walking distance are outposts of the kingdom of God within seven, eight, You've got churches on every corner because the kingdom of God has been advancing, right? And even when it doesn't look like it, right? See, winning in the eyes of the world looks like influence and power and money and having celebrities on stage with you, right? But winning in the kingdom of God looks like losing. It looks like defeat, right? That's what we're gonna learn about the crucifixion, right? Right, winning in our world, looks completely different from winning in the kingdom of God. It looks like dying to yourself, right? It looks like uh, you've lost everything. But winning in the kingdom of God, every time you guys give up those midnight prayers your friends and your family every time you sit on a hospital bed with someone who is sick every time that you're in the gutters with somebody who's down and out that's the kingdom of God beating back the gates of hell every time you love someone without condition right that is winning that's the kingdom of God now if I hit you with what's gonna happen you're gonna hit me back and I'm gonna hit you back that's the way of the world right The only way to stop that the only way to beat back satan and his winning of us retaliating and fighting against each other is to love that person to not hit back to die to self are you with me the gates of hell will not advance and they will be beaten back every time you love someone every time you offer up those prayers every time you show up to be with the hurting and the downtrodden jeff Jeff posted a quote from from a sermon from a few years ago from Jason. I love it. And it goes exactly with what we're talking about. And I have it here somewhere. I've lost my notes. Uh, It says, we are dreamers, believers, rebels, lovers, and radicals. And let me tell you, there's nothing more rebellious in the world we live in than truly loving people. That's exactly what the kingdom of God is about. Being rebellious, defiant against the ways of this world to truly loving people. I'm going to invite the band to get back together here. I'm, I've, got, I've gone off on a rant and a preach, so <laughs> I've lost my notes. <laughs> I'm, I love this, what's going on here. And I hope it makes sense to you. What is going on here with the transfiguration? And I hope that you feel empowered to fight. There's a saying uh, from many years ago, and I don't know who said it, but it said, we're gonna fight Satan until hell freezes over. And then, and then, we're gonna give him another round on the ice. That's, that's our mission, right? And it's not with tanks and missiles that we fight our war. It's not with hitting and retaliation like the way of the world. You know, Putin, and the last time I talked, I actually mentioned Putin, and then he like, declared war on another country. I'm like, what's up, bro? Come on, <laughs> what's going on, right? He, he is perverting the word of God. He got up last week and gave a speech justifying his war and he quoted Jesus saying, this, there is no greater love than this that a man should lay down his life for his, his friend. That's not. He's going to war. That's not laying down. He thinks going to war, firing missiles, taking back land. That's laying down your life. That's not laying down your life. That's the complete opposite of what Jesus preached. Right? We do not win the way the world wins. We win with weapons that are not of this world. In fact, Paul says it like this. He says in 2 Corinthians 10, he says, even though we walk in the flesh, we do not wage war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but have divine power to destroy strongholds. And that Is the power that you have been given by Jesus. That is the power that He has unleashed during this Easter season. Is the inauguration of Easter is the inauguration of his kingdom. It is the it is simultaneously a declaration of war on this world and its ways and a declaration of victory, right? Because it has begun on Resurrection Sunday. The day of the Lord is coming. But it's already won. already won, And we have to walk in that power, right? Every prayer that you offer up, every time you show up in love, that's the kingdom of God beating back the gates of hell. So I hope you're encouraged by that. Let us pray as we go out and we, we worship. We worship uh, to, to get us out of here today. God, I just thank you for your word. I thank you that you have declared war on... Our adversary and that he is no longer in power. And that you have empowered each and every one of us to love people, to pray for people, to show up for people. And that is the kingdom of God in action. Every every tear that's shed, Lord, every time we show up for someone, every time a person is healed, every time we provide a meal. Every time you show up and we show up, the kingdom of God advances. And the gates of hell will not, they will not prevail. Because you have prevailed. That's what you have done. You have declared war and victory. Let us walk in your victory. Let us fight the good fight for your kingdom. Let's fight in love and compassion and grace and mercy. Prayer. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. You are listening to the official podcast of The Mission Redlands. For more information, visit us at themissionredlands.com.